You're listening to Comedy Central. Well, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Monday, the 16th of November, which means President Trump has only 65 days left to sell all the White House furniture on Craigslist. Come on, Trump, get going! Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, there's a younger and hotter coronavirus vaccine. Donald Trump gets a loser parade in his honor, and Tanahasi Coates is joining us on the show to talk about how his books are being turned into movies. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with the coronavirus. It's the reason we're all throwing dinner parties in a parking lot. Right now, things are looking pretty dire. There have been over 11 million recorded cases in the US, and one third of all Americans know someone who has died of COVID-19. And with the holidays just around the corner, there is both good news and bad news. The bad news, of course, is that you won't be able to spend time with your extended family. The good news is you won't have to spend time with your extended family. And this morning, there was also some really good news. This morning, another potential breakthrough in the battle against COVID, a vaccine developed by Moderna showing a 94.5% efficacy rate in a trial with 30,000 participants. One big difference between the Moderna vaccine and one developed by Pfizer that also reported very promising results in early trials, Moderna says its vaccine doesn't need to be kept at extremely low temperatures to remain stable. That could help with shipping and distribution. Yes, people, just weeks after a vaccine was announced, there's another one on the way. I mean, are you serious? No vaccine, two vaccines. I mean, at this point in three months, we're gonna have so many vaccines, you'll be able to pick the one that just best fits your personality. Are you getting the Moderna vaccine? No, dude, I'm getting the Pfizer one. I mean, I'm a Gemini. Now, apparently the Pfizer vaccine is 90% effective, but the Moderna vaccine is 94.5% effective. You know what that means, right? I'm taking both because then I'll be 184% immune from COVID, baby. Woo! When COVID is in the room, it's gonna catch me. Where you at, COVID? Where you at? This is also gonna raise the stakes for vaccines because some scientists will come out like, I made another vaccine. It is 88% effective. And we'll be like, what? Kill yourself, you 88% dumbass. And here's something interesting. Moderna says that its research is going much faster than expected because in order to get enough data, they need a certain number of people in the study to catch coronavirus. And that has been extremely easy because this pandemic is so out of control. Just imagine that for a second. We're getting the vaccine faster because of irresponsible people. So you need to go out on your balcony at 7 p.m. tomorrow night and you clap for those people who are not wearing masks. But guys, let me tell you something. When this vaccine hits, the streets are gonna be lit. It's gonna be like the end of World War II. Hell, I'm gonna be in Times Square kissing the first bat that I see. Come here. But let's move on. Because even as the coronavirus is keeping most people close to home, there are still some people out there who are living their lives and even traveling. And I mean, really traveling. Just hours ago, SpaceX launched four astronauts to the International Space Station. It's significant because it's the first full-fledged taxi flight for NASA by a private company. The crew will reach the space station late tomorrow and stay there until spring. That's right, folks. Thanks to Elon Musk and SpaceX, 
astronauts can now basically catch an Uber to space. Although it is gonna be risky. I mean, cause you'll take an Uber to space, it'll cost you like 12 bucks, but then when you come back to Earth, all of a sudden there's gonna be surge pricing. 200,000? I'm not gonna pay 200,000 to go back to Earth. Well, you could always take the bus. The bus? Dude, I'm not trying to get probed by aliens, okay? I'll, you're getting one star for this. I actually wonder what one star Uber rides to space would actually look like. So, the cockpit door blew open, right? The air got sucked out of the cabin and we were like dying. And worst of all, the iPhone charger didn't work. But I, for one, am very excited by how much easier space travel has gotten. I mean, think just... 50 years ago, a space launch was a global event. People crowded around their TVs to watch it. Now, there are space launches all the time. You know, no one cares. Soon it's gonna be so common that like, people won't even feel cool anymore. It'll, it'll be like telling people you're going to Tulum. People be like, oh, I went to space last week. Oh, congratulations on being basic. Let's move on though from outer space to ancient Egypt, where an incredible new discovery was just unearthed. People in Egypt digging up history dating back more than 2,000 years. Archaeologists are showcasing more than 100 coffins found in a huge burial ground. Each sarcophagus and coffin is painted with intricate carvings. X-rays show mummified bodies inside. A lot of the individuals buried in these are members of high-class Egyptian society, so their coffins were higher quality with more elaborate designs. They're going to go on display at Egypt's Grand National Museum next year. Wait, they just happened to find a hundred coffins? And now I'm sure that they're gonna need money to study these coffins? I don't know, guys. Sounds like a typical pyramid scheme. By the way, I love how grave robbing is okay if you just call yourself an archeologist because that's what these guys are doing, right? They're robbing graves. The only difference is they're wearing a weird hat, so then it's okay. Because imagine if you saw some guy digging up your grandma. Hey, hey, stop that, man. That's my grandmother's grave. Uh-uh-uh. I'm wearing the hat. And did you see the look on that one mummy's face? He looks like he got caught doing something embarrassing and he really doesn't want you opening up his sarcophagus right now. Oh, uh, someone's in here. That's why you've always got to assume, people. Assume that your grave is going to be dug up one day. Yeah, you got to be prepared. That's why when I die, I'm going to pose like a gangster in my coffin. Like this. So when they dig me up, they'll be like, we don't know much about this ancient culture, but judging by this man's pose, he was clearly a badass. And finally, here's some weird news from the animal kingdom. We know the platypus is a strange animal, that we know. It's a mammal, but it does lay eggs. It has webbed feet and a duck-like bill. Also, it produces venom. Now, we're also finding out that the coat of these animals glows under a black light. An article published in the journal Mammalia reports if you shine an ultraviolet light on its fur, a platypus will give off a greenish-blue tint. They're one of the few mammals known to do this. It's pretty neat. Scientists are still in the dark, though, about why they have this trait, if there is even a reason at all. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Platypuses glow under black light? Who made these creatures, huh? They glow, they've got venom, they lay eggs, but they also have fur and they're mammals. It's almost like God was finished building the earth and then he used all the leftover pieces to build the platypus. Just take the spare duck bill and put it together with the raccoon body. Yeah, let's see what, let's see what happens. This should be interesting. Honestly, people, we keep finding out more strange things about what platypuses do every single day. Like at this point, let's just put a platypus in the cockpit of a plane. Maybe it knows how to fly and also, what is happening in the scientific community? Huh? 
half the world's scientists are working their asses off to find a vaccine so we can go back to living our lives. And then the other half are like, I don't know, let's, uh, let's see what glows. I will say this. It does explain why we've never seen a platypus on an episode of CSI. All right, everybody, I'm gonna use the black light to scan for any evidence at this murder scene. Okay, what do we have? <gasps> Detective platypus, what the hell? No, guys, it's totally not what you think. All right, we gotta take a short break. But when we come back, President Trump officially concedes, then officially unconcedes the election. What does that mean? Find out when we return. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. So late last week, news networks officially called Georgia for Joe Biden, bringing the final electoral college vote to 306 to 232, the exact count that Donald Trump won by in 2016, which basically means that Trump is the Hillary Clinton of this election. Lock me up, lock me up. But many of Trump's biggest fans are refusing to accept that their man has lost. And over the weekend, they hit the streets in D.C. to make their case. While Trump vows to keep waging his uphill legal battle against the results, thousands of his supporters this weekend flooded the streets of the Capitol. The demonstrators rallying behind a president who has refused to concede an election he lost. The largely maskless crowd echoing his baseless claims about widespread voter fraud, chanting, this isn't over. Look, I just want to, this isn't over. It's not even close to being over. Far-right groups like the Proud Boys, linked to white supremacy and violence, made themselves visible at Saturday's event. Wow, guys, this is so strange. Why does the not-white supremacist president have all these white supremacists coming out to support him? It's so weird. Also, it's interesting how now all the Trump supporters are suddenly okay with protesting and blocking traffic. How quickly their attitudes have changed. I bet we're only three months away from them kneeling at football games like, I will not stand for the anthem of a country that does not support my MAGA-ness. I actually feel bad for a lot of the people here. I feel bad for the people who've been brainwashed into thinking that Biden didn't win. I feel bad for the people who got hurt in the violence that broke out. And most of all, I feel bad for whoever's U-Haul this is. That has gotta be the worst moving day of all time. Because you know that guy was like, all right, I'll get up really early, pack up quick, it's the weekend so there won't be any traffic, ah! And it's really no surprise that Trump supporters aren't admitting defeat because the truth is they're just taking their lead from the man himself. President Trump spent this Sunday golfing and tweeting up a storm. Early this morning, writing this about President-elect Joe Biden. He won because the election was rigged. Critics and even some Republican supporters took that to mean that Mr. Trump was finally admitting that he had lost. But the president soon followed up with another tweet, stating, He, Biden, only won in the eyes of the fake news media. I concede nothing. Last night, the president tweeted, I won the election, even though he is behind by more than five and a half million votes. Twitter quickly flagged Mr. Trump's claim, noting official sources called this election differently. I will say, man... For all the talk about Trump being an aspiring dictator, this is some weak shit. Like, now is the time he should be taking over all the state capitals, installing new governors, arresting opposition leaders, doing all of that. Instead, he's just sitting at home trying to manifest a win on Twitter like a little bitch. I won, send. Did that work? Okay, how about I am the winner, send. No, okay, how about 
I lost not. That should do it. That's the one. I mean, the dude is spreading so much misinformation, even Twitter has had it with Trump. Also, if Donald Trump truly believed any of this nonsense, best believe he wouldn't be golfing, right? If you are truly fighting against wrongdoing and corruption, you, you generally don't find the time to squeeze in a game of golf. Nelson Mandela was never like, we must fight to change the system. We must fight against racism and oppression. But first, daddy needs to work on a short game. Although at this point, I feel like Trump will always find time for golf, no matter what is happening. He could be running away from a bear and he'd still be like, ah, the bear's gonna kill me. The bear's gonna kick you. Hold on. Keep your knees bent. Remember the screen is fast. Ah, the bear. So Donald Trump is saying that he won the election. His supporters are saying that he won the election. But meanwhile, Trump's lawyers are slowly moonwalking away. Am I out of frame? President Trump facing a new setback in his legal challenges to the election. The Trump campaign is abandoning a major part of his legal challenge to votes in Pennsylvania. The campaign is dropping its claim that officials unlawfully blocked observers from watching ballot counting in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Today, the president's lawyers dropped their lawsuit in Arizona, admitting it would not change enough votes to matter. In a Pennsylvania lawsuit, a judge asked Trump's attorney, are you claiming that there is any fraud in connection with these disputed ballots? The Trump attorney admitted, no. On Friday, a top lawyer at Jones Day, which has represented Mr. Trump's campaigns for more than four years, told colleagues during a video conference call that Jones Day would not get involved in additional litigation in this election. Damn, Donald, you're losing court cases all over the place. It's almost like a miracle. You know, he took one election loss and turned it into a thousand more losses. Yeah. It's exactly like a miracle, but for losers. I mean, think about it. He's the first president of the United States that lawyers don't want to represent. And lawyers will represent anybody. If you slipped and fell three blocks away from a Walmart, you'll find a lawyer who'll be like, we gotta sue that Walmart, you got a case. But Trump is the president. And they're like, come on, man, don't, don't get me involved in your bullshit, man. And the best part is how these lawsuits are slowly whittling down to nothing from where they started. Because when it kicked off, Trump's lawyers were like, your honor, this election was rigged. And then it was like, okay, the election wasn't rigged, but they didn't let us observe it. Okay, they let us observe the election, but not as closely as we wanted. Okay, none of that is true, but can we all agree that the word election is weird? Yeah, it's weird, right? Election. Sounds weird, right? We can agree on that. So look, man, Trump can say what he wants and his supporters can also say what they want, but his lawyers clearly know the truth. And the truth is that Trump lost the election and not because of any voter fraud, because people voted. And on January 20th, he's gonna have to move out of the White House. The good news for Trump is there's a guy with a U-Haul who's probably still gonna be out there and he can help him move. Stick around because when we come back, Desi Lydic goes one-on-one with Tucker Carlson. And don't forget, Tanahasi Coates is joining us on the show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. In these corona times, everyone is keeping in touch with their relatives using video calls. And that includes our very own Desi Lydic, who's actually related to Tucker Carlson from Fox News. Yeah, believe it or not, he's her fourth cousin on her aunt's side by divorce. So recently, Desi got in touch 
with Cousin Tuck, and here's how it went. Hey, Cousin Tuck, how's it going? Feeling a bit more relaxed now that the election's over? Look, I, I was hoping that we could just kind of put it all behind us and, and get back to normal. None of this is normal. Yeah, I guess, but at the end of the day, we're still family. Plus, I would love to start planning Thanksgiving now that Halloween's over. The great orange emergency has passed now, and it's party time. Woo, that's the spirit. Look, I know it's gonna be really hard, but let's just try to not talk about politics at the table this year, okay? Tens of millions of Americans suspect this election was stolen from them. Tuck, this sounds like another one of your conspiracy theories. Ever wonder why people on both sides are embracing conspiracy theories? Why do you think that's happening? Because you keep saying them on TV. Do you even have evidence that there was cheating? According to one affidavit, a poll worker saw people bringing handfuls of ballots to a Biden-Harris campaign van. Really? They rolled up to cheat in a Biden-Harris van? That's like robbing a bank with bags that have dollar signs on them. It only happens in cartoons. We don't know how many votes were stolen on Tuesday night. We don't know anything about the software that many say was rigged. We don't know. But we don't know for sure that Jared Kushner isn't a paper mache sculpture that just came to life either. But we can't assume that without evidence. Look, we're getting off topic here. Okay, this is going to be really controversial. But for Thanksgiving, I want to make a tofurkey this year. Come on, say something. Don't give me that Tucker face. It's totally wrong and it's crazy. It's not crazy. Cousin Jessica's a vegan and Aunt Eileen has high blood pressure, so it's what we're having. <phone rings> Hang on, Sean's joining the Zoom. Hey, second cousin Sean. I'm really happy that you're coming to Thanksgiving, but I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. We're not talking politics at the dinner table. We cannot be intimidated into silence. We need to find out exactly what happened in this election. And there are questions, and that means we have to answer them. Not at Thanksgiving, we don't. And I'm not trying to silence or intimidate anyone. Who, who's trying to intimidate you here? The 99% media mob, the Washington Swamp, Joe Biden, all desperate. They want to just call it a day and stop you from asking legitimate, tough questions about the election. Well, it's a good thing none of them are coming to dinner. Look, I know that we don't agree on things politically, but we're all family. So can we just be nice? They hate us. They've been very clear about that for four years. They've never tried to hide it. That is not true, Sean. I was very happy when you showed up out of the blue, unannounced and completely uninvited last year. It was a, it was a nice surprise. They knew you were coming. They laughed at you when you left. Tucker, shh. It is one day. Just give me this one day with family without yelling or fighting or talking about conspiracy theories about the election. Can we just have that? <laughs> it is a People national who are not disgrace. Even alive still somehow some states to vote have handled this election. In New okay, York, I'm hanging out now. I'll talk to Chris. Right. Madison Madison ballot. You did your best, Desi. I hope Thanksgiving isn't too awkward. All right, stick around, because when we come back, I'll be talking to the brilliant Tanahasi Coates. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with best-selling author Tanahasi Coates. We talked about the current state of the country, his books being adapted into films, and what he thinks America is going to look forward to in the upcoming years. Tanahasi Coates, welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Trevor, thanks for having me back, man. This is truly an honor because I just found out today you were officially the number one guest we've had on the show, as in like you've been on my show the most frequent, yeah. Imagine that. 
imagine that. Six six years. What a journey it's been. Well, five years, I guess. We've been on, you know, you've wow. been on the show six times six times in five years. That's what it's been. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. That's great. I'm I'm I have no problem with that at all. I, w- I would love to know, as somebody who has been talking to you over these five years and somebody who's watched your life change dramatically, but not necessarily your tenor, have you seen a change in the world around you over the past five years? Or have you just experienced more of the world being the world? And I, I mean specifically America, obviously, because that's what you write about most of the time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, to some extent for the worse, you know, I think the worst is pretty obvious. Um, you know, I think a quarter million and counting Americans dead is, you know, pretty obvious. Us picking up a million COVID cases a week. Right. That is obviously, you know, uh, uh, pretty bad. And, 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 and the fact that, you know, there's really been no response uh, of, of, of note or of merit from the government. I, I don't know what a state is for if it's not to prevent the, the census death, death of, you know, a quarter million of its inhabitants. What's the point of having a state? And perhaps that's kind of the point. Um, but um, that is probably uppermost in my in my head right now in terms of you know turns for the bad. Um, there has been, um, I think, among a certain portion of Americans outside of outside of the African American community, probably an increased yeah. awareness you know, of, of, of certain issues. Um, I think Trump himself has probably made that hard to ignore. Right. Um, I, I think obviously the summer protests made that hard to ignore. I think um, the disproportionate impact of, of, of COVID has made that hard to ignore. Um, how long that will last or what that will come to, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it certainly is a change, I would say. We've got a few things happening in the world of ta Coats. Let's talk, talk first of all about the water dancer. The last time I was with you in the studio, you were on to promote um, the, 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 the hardcover of the book. Now it's out in paperback. You were exhausted promoting the book, but I guess you got fresh energy because you're back out promoting it again. And I believe that Oprah Winfrey and Brad Pitt have teamed up to turn the book into a film. This is, I mean, this is, it's Brad Pitt and Oprah Winfrey. Is there a moment when you stop sometimes and be like, yo, I'm working with Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt and Oprah Winfrey. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like the, the, the kings and queens of white people and black people, you've won the game. This is the perfect setup. Um, <laughs> I hate to break your heart, but I've never met Brad Pitt. <laughs> I don't wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I do know Oprah a little, a little better. You know what I mean? Just a little better. I don't want to take right. any liberties here. Uh, but, you know, these, these are their production companies, you know, which obviously reflect their vision, you know what I mean? Yes, and and, and yes, their taste yes. and their aesthetics. You know, again, not casting any shade. But, you know, it's funny because, like, you, when we were, we, we've been going through this, oh, shoot, I've, I've been, this is November now. So I have been in discussion with, with Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's uh, uh, production company, yeah. um, for about a year now. And, and, and Jeremy Kleiner and um, Dee Dee, you know, over there. So it, it's been, um, but I talk to, 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 to the people who work for them. Like, I talk to the day-to-day people, you know what I mean? And there's this bad, you know, it's constant, constant conversation. I mean, I've been telling as recently as yesterday about what we're going to do, how we're going right. to do it. But when it's reported out, it's like, hey, Tanahasi's working with Brad Pitt and Oprah to, to make a... Yeah, like we, a need, we need to switch up your game. You need to hire me. I'll be the guy who calls to speak to the people who work for them. And then I'll tell them, yeah, Tanahasi will meet with Brad and Oprah. I mean, you're Tanahasi no, coach. No, no. But look, 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 the people who, the people who do work for them, <laughs> they're geniuses. They're great. I, I love them. <laughs> 
I love him. I, I, I really, really do. It's just funny how, how, how it gets reported out because, I, I, you know, I sit on the phone, you know, uh, with these folks. And I'm right. saying their names because nobody, you know, really says their names. But, you know, I sit on the phone with a Dee Dee Gardner and she tells me, you know, you know what films I should, I should look at and what I should right, be right, right. thinking about. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, these, these are the voices that are actually in my head. You know what I mean? Like when I'm thinking about it as a film, these are the people I'm actually getting feedback from. Yeah, but it, but when it's reported in the papers, it seems like you're in a room with Oprah and Brad Pitt being like, all right, what do we do with this character, Brad? And he's like, yo, Tanahasi, this is how I think you should do it. And Oprah's like, everybody's getting involved. That's what it seems like. <laughs> it's not like that at all. <laughs> but it's still, it's still a big project, man. I feel like all of your projects are turning into some sort of, you know, you're an author, but but your work your work evokes so much imagery that it almost lends itself to being created into some sort of film. The same thing is happening with Between the World and Me. I got, a, I got an opportunity to watch an advanced copy of it, and I mean, I love the book. Everyone loved the book. I mean, there's a reason it's a New York Times bestseller forever, but I think seeing the, the you know, seeing people reenact portions of the book in a way that, that, that makes the conversation different it really changed the book. I don't know how to articulate it really, because for those who don't know, you wrote the book. In 2015, it was a huge bestseller. And in many ways, it shaped conversations that people have in and around race in America, you know? Now, what you've done with HBO is you've, they've created this film based on the book and it has everybody, I mean, from Mahershala Ali to Oprah Winfrey and Black Thought and T.I. and Yara Shahidi. And you've just got all these people. And, and, and Joe Morton is easily my favorite in it because of how he articulates what's happening in the book. And it's a conversation. The way you wrote it was a conversation, a letter from yourself to your then 14-year-old son. When you look at what the project is now, first of all, why do you think all of those big names agreed to do it? And what do you think changed in the project? What, like, like when you put faces to it? So now I have to play the, the Brad Pitt Oprah role because I did nothing on that film. I, I offered <laughs> like feedback, <laughs> like two or three times. I have no insight into why. It's a beautiful film. Let me, let me be clear. It's beautiful. I'm not exactly sure why, or I'm not exactly sure how, you know, it was made, you know, it is directed, you know, by, by my good friend, Camilla Forbes, um, who pulled it, you know, together, you know, right. produced by, you know, her and Susan Kalechi Watson of This Is Us fame. All of us went to Howard together. <clears throat> so there, there's a kind of, you know, intimacy and, and bond that, that, it, that was it, already it, there. Because it, feel, it felt true to your work. That's, you know, that's yes. surprising yes. when you yes. say to me, like, yes. no, I wasn't, because, I mean, you're, you're, you're in the film. Yes, I am. I am, right. but I'm not, I'm, th- those are, that is not, I would have no idea how to turn Between the World and Me into a film. None. Yes. None. I, yes. Absolutely none. And so um, I just, um, Camille is somebody I really, really trusted because she had done the theatrical you know, adaptation right. and I had worked with her before. And so, I, um, but when we were pitching, you know, um, like networks and everything, I remember being in those meetings and, you know, over <laughs> Zoom, obviously, but being in those meetings and I wasn't nervous at all because I had, you know, really complete faith that, you know, she was going to do something special. She what really that did. special thing would be, I had no idea. <laughs> it's not my problem. So, okay, so then, so then you were in an interesting position because you, you were as surprised as I was when you watched it then. So when you did watch it, did you feel like it kept the essence of what the book was or do you think it added something different that the book didn't? I think it added something different, man. Um, because I think when you write a book, 
what you're trying to achieve is a very intimate one-on-one experience with a reader. You know, you want what the you know it's just you and the reader locked in this one place. Yeah. Um, and it's it's you know the singular voice that that the reader hears that comes out of this collaboration between you two. Um, theater, to say nothing of television, is is totally different in the sense that. There was nothing I could have done within Between the World and Me that would have allowed for you to see it the way you see it when Angela Davis reads those words, right. when Yara reads those words, when Courtney B. Vance, you know, it's a very different thing when Mahershala, I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And frankly, you know, like one of the things, I think we talked about this before, you know, one of the critiques of Between the World and Me was, you know, um, it, it didn't open itself up, you know, in terms of gender. You know, it didn't, you know, have, you know, it was this black, heavily black male experience that was standing mm-hmm. up for the mm-hmm. experience. You know, and, and my thing was always, I hear that, but I really don't know what I, as a, as a writer, you know what I mean, could do, you know, very differently within the scope of what that book was. Right. And yet, when I saw the film, and I saw it open, and it said, dear son, dear daughter, dear nephew, dear cousin, it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And even the fact that, as I said, having, you know, a, a black women, having trans you know, women in, in, in that, in, you know, reading, it opens up. It becomes yeah. something that is much more than the book could actually, you know, be. That's amazing, man. I, I, I found myself wondering when I was watching it, I was like, this is, this is a book that you wrote for your son. I mean, you know, it's, it's for the people, but you wrote it to your son, your 14-year-old son at the time. Yeah. I, would, I would love to know what conversations you have with your son now, who's 19, and also what you would have said to him then, but he was too young for you to have a conversation about. Like, how has that relationship evolved? So, um, so he turned 20 in August, which is a wow. crucial age. It's a very, very crucial age. Um, because, you know, he's not, obviously, he's very much not a boy anymore. Um, he's very much a young man, you know, an adult out, out on his own. <sighs> I find myself, it's funny these days, probably listening to Samari more than I find myself um, telling him anything he has his own interests you know his own you know things that 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 he's pursuing um and so probably never more in my life in our relationship have have i actually listened more than i than i than i talked actually wow wow Wow. it's fascinating it's fascinating because i'll never be a you know 20 year old you know young black male right now i I won't have that experience you know so it's kind of fascinating listening to him you know, talking and, you know, how he sees the world. What would you say is the biggest difference that, that in the way the two of you see the world? I'm sure you have a lot of similarities, but I find, you know, like I'll have it with my younger brother, for instance, or anyone really, if you share a connection with them, but they're of a different generation, sometimes they'll, they'll, they just see one part of the world in a different way to you because of when they were born and how they were raised. Do you have something like that where you, you look at your son and you're like, oh yeah, I guess. Yes. yes. Um, he is who I was with 10 times the confidence and maybe 10 times the opportunity. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I recognize a lot of myself in him, but he's, he's just much, much more confident. Um, and I think that comes out of how, or where, rather, not even how, where, you know, he was raised, as opposed to, you know, where, where I was raised, the environment I was in. Me and my wife talk about this all the time, you know, about how, you know, we were constantly shielding ourselves from things, you know, ducking, you know, worried about what was gonna happen here. And he has a lot less of that. Um, and thus has a, you know, a much higher degree of belief in his ability to, you know, almost out of his sheer will, you know, just conjure things, you know, and, and, and to the extent that 
there is some, you know, uh, talk back. It's often, you know, pulling him back from that, <laughs> you know, because um, I think, you know, it's good. It's good. I, I really love to see it. But, you know, sometimes you can go a little too far with that. <laughs> Before I let you go, I have to ask you a question that I think I've asked you every single time you've been on the show because you're my favorite person and only person I ask this question to. But looking at the election and looking at like like the vaccines and just like where we are now, how optimistic is Tanahasi Coates now about America? It's a struggle. It's a struggle. It's going to be a struggle. Um, it's going to be a struggle for a while, I think. Um, I think um, I think there was enormous damage done over the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a party to deny the previous president um, the opportunity to appoint a, a Supreme ju- a Supreme Court judge, a lifetime appointment, to win but not through the popular vote, and then to appoint three and four years. Um, I think the damage to democratic legitimacy piled onto everything else that you know Trump has done. Um, right. I think is I think is enormous. I think is enormous, and I expect to actually outlive me. Um, the damage of that. I, I think it's really, wow. really significant. Um, so I, I think we're in for some uh, for some tough times, you know. But you know, again, I think I've said this before: <clears throat> being African American, being the progeny of, of, of people who were enslaved in this country for 250 years, and you know, lived through you know another subsequent hundred years of, of Jim Crow, um, having you know been born at the time of the rise of mass incarceration, you know, ever thus, when was it not? you know, as it is. Is it worse yeah. now than it was then? No, it's not worse. You know, I wouldn't say that, you know? Um, so this, this, this is the condition, you know, this is where we are. As always, man, I appreciate having you on. I'm excited for the movie adaptation of your book that you're not working on with Brad Pitt and Oprah. And I'm excited for the film that was made from your work, but you were just like, yeah, yeah I'm just gonna watch it just, just, just like the rest of you. <laughs> so uh, either way, I'm excited for you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Good, Good seeing, seeing you again. Look after yourself. Thank you, thank you. Don't forget, the paperback of The Water Dancer will be available November 17th, and Between the World and Me will premiere on HBO on November 21st, and then be available to stream on HBO Max. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, Thanksgiving is coming up. And because of coronavirus, homebound seniors are at greater risk than ever before, especially those who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Now, luckily, Meals on Wheels is out in the streets, delivering meals to elderly Americans every single day across the country. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, the vaccine is around the corner. So start practicing by stabbing yourself in the arm with a pencil, people. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.